This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey everyone, it's Jamie. You've heard me talk about Teresa and Mike Matheny, who unfortunately got caught up in Tara Lee's scams. Although Teresa and Mike were one of the few people to have a successful adoption through Tara Lee, it's not because Tara wanted it that way. At the last moment, Tara tried her best to keep Teresa and Mike from being able to adopt the baby they'd grown connected with and who they desperately wanted to provide a loving home for. After six weeks of stress and not knowing if they'd be able to take the baby they'd driven hundreds of miles for home with them, Teresa and Mike were finally able to bring the baby home. Tara put the Matheny's through hell, and Teresa was kind enough to discuss the entire ordeal with me. Today, you're going to hear directly from Teresa Matheny, and she talks about how she came to know Tara Lee how Tara connected her and Mike with a birth mom whose baby they were going to adopt, and how Tara ran her usual cruel scams on them and nearly got away with it. I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with Teresa, and as you can imagine, it was a very difficult conversation for her to have. Teresa Matheny is a strong and loving woman. Tara Lee definitely met her match with Teresa. During our conversation, Teresa told me about a time when she was at dinner with Tara, and by this time, she knew Tara was a scammer. And it was all Teresa could do not to jump over that table and kick Tara's ass. I completely understood her tendency toward violence during that tense dinner with Tara. I think you're going to enjoy our conversation as much as I did. So, without further delay, here is my conversation with adoption scam survivor, Teresa Matheny. Teresa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I've been really looking forward to speaking with you. Why don't we start by just giving you know the audience your name and a little bit about your background, and then we'll dive into kind of how you came to know Tara Lee and, and tell us your story. Yeah, my name is Teresa Matheny. Um, my husband is Mike Matheny, and we live in Atlanta. We adopted two biological siblings three and a half years apart. So, And we've been married for, I believe, seven years. I'm not can't really remember. I know we've been together for 10. I think it's coming up on seven. But our, our four year, well, he'll be four in October. He was born on our third wedding anniversary. So yeah, we are yeah, seven years. It'll be seven years in October. So my husband and I, we dated for three years. We'd always talked about having kids. And even if we were able to have kids of our own, we were always wanted to adopt both of us. We were just very passionate about it. And so we got married after three years of dating and we immediately started trying. We're both older. So we started trying and it was about a year and we were just unsuccessful. So I went to a fertility doctor and couldn't figure out. We did two rounds of fertility treatments, didn't work. So we immediately went to adoption. And so my husband is Jewish and I don't know if you've really jumped in and like really studied a lot of the big adoption agencies, but a lot of them are Christian faith. 
and they will not work with anyone that's not a member of a church or is not Christian. And so we didn't really have a lot of options that we felt comfortable with. So we found a small Jewish agency in Atlanta and they only worked with five families at a time. And so they were super ethical and just, we felt really comfortable with them, but you know, we never got our profile uh, even presented to a family one time in 18 months. So if you've talked to any families that adopt, one of the things about it is uh, you become, you're desperate to have a family and the adoption world is not only corrupt, but it's also the waiting and it's just a really hard process. And so we waited for 18 months, never got our profile presented. So I just started reaching out to like these like little referral agencies that that will connect you. They will come have these situations and they'll connect you with with other agencies and you just pay their fee. And so we had signed up with a couple of them. One was in Michigan, I think another was in South Carolina, and I think another was in like Florida. And so we didn't get any hits off of those either. So I happened to come across a situation that was through an agency in South Carolina. And it was a private agency. And the woman actually lived in my dad's hometown. And actually her parents went to my dad's church. And so I was like, oh my God, like this just seems, it just felt so organic and everything. And so I drove up there to meet her and we sat at Starbucks and paid her fee. I think it was like $2,500. And within a week, I think it was a week and a half or two weeks, we were matched. So she worked with an agency called Always Hope in Michigan, Tara Lee. And she went on and on about her, how amazing, how she was one of her best friends. They prayed every day on the phone and she's had so many placements with her and just a wonderful person. She's just a little rough around the edges, you know, tattoos, cusses a lot, but she's wonderful. And so I was like, oh my God, this is great. So at the time when we got the call, we were in St. Simon's at a wedding. My husband's really good friend was getting married. So we were like in between hotels and so we get this call. And I'm like, holy shit. Like we got the call, like finally after waiting so long. And so then Gina, the girl that owns the agency in South Carolina, she was like, hey, Tara Lee wants to talk to you guys on the phone because she wants to connect you with the birth mother. And so we spoke with Tara and Tara's like, okay, I'm, hey, I'm Tara. She goes over everything, you know, just, I don't even know how to ex- describe the co- first conversation we had with her, but she's, she talks a lot about herself and how great she is and how many wonderful things she does for all these birth moms. And so anyway, she patches us in with our birth mother and it was a great conversation. And then at the end, Tara asked the birth mother, would you like to choose them to adopt your child? And she was like, yes, I would. And of course, it's so many emotions just, I mean, because she was even, I think she was due like two weeks later. And at the time we lived with and took care of two adult brothers with special needs. And so we had to come back home and sign respite care for them and then go to Michigan. And so we were like all these things. And then we call all our family. After we get off the phone with them, Tara calls us back and was like, I need you to send me two separate tr- credit card transactions, one for 5000 and one for 8000 And so my husband's like, okay, you know, no problem. And um, it's really interesting now. My husband and I talk about this. We look back and my husband is one that reads the fine print. He does not give money to anyone. He is very weird about his money. He does not. Like he wants to know where every dollar is going. So he just was like, fine, take it. And so Sensitor, the 5000 was for her doula and counseling services. And the 8000 was for birth mom expenses. So 
Now looking back, $8,000 for not even a month, like I don't spend $8,000 in a month. Sure. You're not thinking about those things. And so we send the money and then Mike realizes, holy shit, we never got a contract. And so, but we're going through this agency. So we're like, it's fine, you know, whatever. So she sends us a contract a couple of days later, I believe. And so then the next thing is Tara's like, hey, I'm going to include you guys, everyone in a text group, but I will be in it. And so that way it just keeps things from not being weird. And, you know, I can kind of intervene if it gets uncomfortable. And so we're like, okay, I mean, it seems normal. Later on, you'll find that Tara did that with all of her families in order to make sure nobody was talking about what she was really doing. And so, so anyway, I think our paperwork said she was due like on October 11th C-section at a totally different hospital, like in somewhere in Port Huron that ended up all not being true. So we said, okay, so we should plan on leaving. And she was like, oh no, the baby's not due till the end of October. And we're like, okay, wait, like our paperwork says this. She was like, oh, no, no, no. I don't know if she said like it was a mistake, but she just kind of like blew it over or whatever. And so as soon as we gave her that money and probably within the next two days, she was ghost. Like any kind of question like we had of any kind of substance. Hey, Tara, like where are the places we need to stay? Where should we look into staying? Like we don't know Detroit. And she would be like, oh, here's some places or whatever. And they were like, well, when should we come? And she would just not answer us. It was weird because like I would text her. She wouldn't answer me. And then like the next day she would text my husband and be like small talk. And then my husband would ask for something of substance and she wouldn't answer him. It was like this game that she played. And it was very sick, like looking back. And so all this time, and it's so crazy because I... I consider both of us like very good judge of character. Like I, I just am. And so I just felt so after all of this, I felt so stupid because I was like the red flags were all there, you know, anyhow. So she finally, I think we got an answer from her like, okay, yeah, you can just go ahead and come up next week. And so we were like, okay. And she kept telling us she had doctor's appointments and then we would ask her how the doctor's appointments went. And she would say, oh, the doc, like one time she said the doctor's appointment, they, it, the doctor's office got flooded. They had to cancel all the appointments. Finally, you know, like I said, she said, okay, you guys can come up next week. She tells us some places to, to stay. And so the night before we left, we were at dinner with Mike's mom and we had the car packed, completely packed, leaving in the morning. And I think, it, I can't remember what date it was, but it was like the Saturday before our son was born. And I get an email from one of those referral agencies that we had signed up with. And she had like this little referral agency in, in Michigan, but she was like, hey, it was like a mass email to all of her clients. Has anyone worked with Tara Lee and Always Hope? Like I'm sitting here, I'm like, huh. I'm like, and I tell Mike, I'm in the back seat. I'll never forget. I was in the back seat. Mom's in the front seat. My husband's driving. I was like, I just got an email over asking if anybody's worked with Tara Lee. And Mike immediately was like, something's not right. Wow. And so I was like, well, maybe they're just asking because, you know, they want to see if she's good to work with. I emailed her back. I was like, hey, we're actually leaving tomorrow. Our baby is supposed to be born sometime in the next week. She didn't respond to my email, I don't think. And so then I tried to call her. She didn't answer. So then I text her and she texted me back and was like, do not contact anyone. Do not contact Tara. Someone will be in, in contact with you shortly. Okay. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Wow. So I'm like blowing this girl's phone up. I'm like, how dare you? Like, I am literally leaving. And like, you cannot send an email like this. And like, 
Anyway, she came back and I think she came back and said something else. And by this time we were home and I was in the basement and I just remember like falling to the floor, like hysterical. Like, I don't think in my life I've ever been so upset because I knew, you know, and it wasn't even about the money for me. It was like, I felt in my heart and I get so emotional. I felt in my heart that I would never recover from that. You were just in such a vulnerable state and you and your husband were already in love with that baby, I imagine. And that was probably your biggest fear was that I am not going to get this child that I already love. And that is, this is the most sinister part of the whole thing. That's a really good way to look at it because you do. We already loved him. I had the nursery together. Like we were buying clothes. We had like little monogram stuff. Oh, I still feel the pain that I felt. So then I, my husband like tells his mom, he's like, you have to go. Like he knew, so I called him by his name and I never called him by his name. I called him babe. And I called him, I said, Why? and he comes running down. And so he's like, what the fuck is going on? And then I remembered that we had signed with Tanya and Talia because they were our attorneys throughout when they were working with Tara. And so I tried to call Talia. It's so funny. I called Talia first and Talia was like, I'm so sorry. I just had oral surgery. I'm on pain pills. I cannot. I'm so loopy right now. Please call Tanya. Oh, bad timing. <laughs> yeah. So I called Tanya and, Ta- and I'm like, what is going on? And Tanya was like, what? How do you know what's going on? Like, who said something to you? And I was like, it was I said, in an email. And she's like, oh my God. And she goes, okay. She was like, Tara is under FBI investigation for double matching families. Like I, she was just saying all this stuff. And I was like, oh my God, like, I was just like, oh, I just wanted to throw up. And then Mike takes over the conversation and he's just, he wants to know where his money is, what is going on. So poor Tanya, she stayed on the phone with us. I would say on and off for probably six hours that night. I think she had like family event and she was sitting in, it's like her in-laws or something. They were having a dinner or something. She never got to go to the dinner. She was sitting in the park and like, like I was hysterical, like, Un, like I, it was just, it was insane. And so Tanya was like, okay. She was like, just calm down. Like, who is your birth mother? And so I told her and she was like, okay. She said, the reason why we haven't contacted you is because we have no reason to believe that yours is fake. We think that your adoption is real. Um, she was previously matched to another family. I did verify that she is real. They did meet her in person. She is in fact pregnant. And so I said, what do we do? And she was like, get in the car and drive up here just come up here. And I was like, I'm going to fucking kill her. Like I can't keep my mouth shut. So Tanya was like, you cannot tell anyone and you have to come up here and you have to pretend you know nothing and talk to her. Like, you know, nothing you've got to sit with her and pretend you do not know a thing. You cannot tell anyone. So we couldn't tell our family. I couldn't tell anybody. So we're driving. We decided getting in the car. Of course we didn't sleep. My husband's like, all right, we're going to do it. So like the whole time we're driving and we break the trip up over two days and we're like, okay, she surely wouldn't have us drive across the country if this was fake. And so then we'd feel good about it and then something would happen and then we'd be like, holy shit, like this is a scam. So, and then Mike's like, what if the attorneys are involved? We don't know what the hell's going on. So as we're driving, I said, you know what? I said, I never got a sonogram, like an ultrasound picture. And so I just casually text Tara and I was like, hey, I just realized we never got an ultrasound. Do you have one? She said, actually, I do. And the baby's very real. And she sent me like a few ultrasound pictures. 
had our birth mom's name on it. It was real. And then I was like, oh, thank God. And then I'm like, oh, I got to send this to my cousin. So I send the ultrasound to my cousin. And she was like, I don't want to alarm you, but like this, but she would be 42 weeks right now if this ultrasound were accurate. And so I was like, whatever. And so then it's, you get deflated, all this. And so it turned out she had, you know, the reason why the ultrasound was off, she had, she had taken her to one of those boutique ultrasound places that just, it's just for entertainment. It's a guess. Yeah. yeah it's a guess. Like, okay, yes. we think you're going to be due, you know, right. on this date. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And so we get up there, we get to Michigan. We ended up staying in the hotel the first night. It was like disaster after disaster. We had rented an Airbnb. The lady calls when we're like two hours away from Michigan was like, so sorry, the refrigerator thing broke and the whole floor flooded. So you can't stay here for a week. And so it's just, we've stayed in four Airbnbs, I think, while we were there. Like one disaster after another. You have no idea. One of them that flooded with sewage. Like, no. Yeah. And you're like, is if you're like, if this is a sign. So anyway, we get up there, text her, like, hey, we made it. She's like, yeah, anyway, whatever. And we're going to have, let's say I'll have lunch tomorrow or meet like in Port Huron, where our birth mom lives and we'll all meet there. She loves Texas Roadhouse. It's her favorite restaurant. We found out later she hates Texas Roadhouse. Doesn't even like it. And like, it's, yeah, it's insane. Like so Tara this, didn't even consult with her and just chose a place. Yeah. And just so we and thought said, oh because she so it's like a lot of adoptive parents like you're not allowed to give money to your because to, it looks like coercion or you're paying and that's not the point. But it's also like it's very personal, obviously. And so you want to get nice gifts or do something, you know, or whatever. And so we had planned on getting them because our birth parents were, were still together and still are. And so we were like, okay, we'll get something for him. She told us that he loved the lions and, and Detroit lions and that our birth father did. And that ended up being a lie. He didn't even, doesn't even like them. Doesn't even, it's like stuff like that. So we had ended up, we bought him a $200 gift certificate to Texas Roadhouse and all this stuff that like they didn't, so she's like, okay, tomorrow we're going to meet for lunch or for dinner or whatever. And it's like an hour drive for us from Detroit to Port Huron. And so it comes the next day and she's like, oh, I can't get a hold of She won't answer. And so we're like, what in the hell? The next day she was like, okay, we're, we're going to meet. So we did finally meet. It was super awkward. You're meeting someone for the first time that they are literally like going to give you their baby to raise. Like it's very- It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. So, yeah. Yeah. So Tara showed up with this guy named Jay, who Jay is like her. He was, she was having an affair with him. It's very obvious. I thought he was her husband. I had no <sighs> idea. They're sitting there. And then here comes our birth parents who walk in. She's very pregnant. So I'm like, oh, thank God, this is real. And they're just awkward. We're awkward. And so Tara like dominated the conversation the entire time. Tara was like, yeah, you're going to be induced next week because you'll be 38 weeks and you know you have preeclampsia or whatever. And she goes, no, I'm not. She said, the doctor only told me I'm 36 weeks. And she goes, that's not true. That is not true. So our birth mom is very like, she does not play. And so for her to even sit back and let her talk, to, it's like looking back now and like knowing our birth mom and knowing she just put you in your place and you're, it's almost like you're afraid of her. It's wow. very bizarre. So, so anyway, she dominated the conversation and then at the end, she was like, hey, we need those tires on our car. Our tires are bald or whatever. And Tara's like, yeah, I'll get them to you tomorrow. And so she was like, don't worry, I'll take care of her or whatever. Of course, she never did. But I'm sitting there and like, I want to jump across the table and like put my hands around her neck and never let go. Like for me to sit there and I was like 
fuming. She shows up. She's in a Lululemon sweatsuit. She has like a $500 Louis bag. She has a Rolex, a diamond, like a huge diamond, like Prada reading glasses. And then those, oh, those like Kardashian nails that are like- Not the Kardashian <laughs> nails. <laughs> no, that just, put, that just put me over. That just put me all the way over. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like yes. the gross, you know, I'm just, I'm not a girly girl. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. It was, it, but it sounds like a lot. I mean, it, it was, she she's didn't... a lot. So we ended dinner and of course, Mike pays and then Tara orders to go food for her kids. Oh, stop it. So we've done her everything. And it's fine because it. we knew, you know, we knew what was going on. And Mike's like, I don't care. I just want to get the hell away from her. So of course, we're talking to Tanya and Talia throughout all this. So Talia is hilarious. We were like doing detective. Like she is a detective, man. She's like, you got to just keep your shit. You got to keep your cool. You know, Tanya's like the timid one. And Talia's like in your face. will cuss you out. Like, so at this point, we finally got into our Airbnb, I believe. And so we kept pressuring Tara. We were like, when is she going to have this baby? Like you said, she's going to be induced. Or no, she said she was going to have a C-section. She was like, oh, she had no idea. And I said she has a doctor's appointment. So she has a doctor's appointment this week. And so we're like, but that's not what you said. You said that she was having a C-section. And everything, like most all of every situation I've ever seen through Tara, all of her birth mothers have C-sections. Which makes no sense because our birth mother never had a C-section. This was her fourth pregnancy. And she's always had normal, natural births, you know? So we have keep pressing her, like, when, you know, she's like, oh, she has a doctor's appointment tomorrow or something. And then it would be like, oh, she won't answer the phone. I can't get a hold of her, you know? And then the night before our son was born on the October 24th, Tara called Mike. Because at this point, Mike's like, we're packing up. We're going home. I can't do it. Like, we, I just can't do this anymore. And so she, she calls my husband and says, so your birth mom and your birth father were just at the convenience store. She was driving and she passed out at the wheel and someone called 911. So they, the 911 gets there, the ambulance gets there. You know, someone sees a pregnant woman slumped over in a car. And so they, her blood pressure was 210 over 130. She refused to go to the hospital because that's our birth mom. And so the only reason why she didn't go to jail, she didn't have any insurance. I think her registration was expired. Her license was suspended. They were going to take her to jail. And the only reason why they did it is because she's pregnant. Mm -hmm. And so they impounded the car. And so at this point, Mike's like, we have to get her to the hospital. If her blood pressure is that high, like this is dangerous. Like this is stroke level. Like you got to get her to the hospital. So anyway, the next day, Tara calls Mike and was like, she's on her way to the hospital. So with her contract, everything with the birth mom, not the birth mom, but her counseling and doula, all those expenses, like was supposed to be covered, was supposed to be covering that was like weekly lunches. She's supposed to be taking them to all of her doctor's appointments. She would be taking her to the hospital. All of these things that like we're paying for. We find out that Tara put her in an Uber an hour away. And then not only that, but kept the birth father, made sure that she did it. So the birth father couldn't come. Oh my And gosh. so she's in an Uber coming to the hospital, no support, no one gets. So Tara calls us and says, you need to get to the hospital. So they get her in there. Her blood pressure is like at 213 over, oh, it was like 130 something. 
And so they have to induce her like urgently. So they start to induce her and then Tara calls us, you know, we get up to the hospital and we're sitting in the room and Tara is like in there like a hawk. I started recording at this point because I was like, I don't trust this bitch. She started to say, you do know that you you still owe me some more money because I think we owed her like, I think it was 4,000, but she thought it was three. And so she, I was like, yeah, yeah, like, and Talia's like, you cannot give her any money. Because if you give her money and like, you already know this is going on, it could interfere with your adoption. Do not give her any money. Mike's like, I'm just going to give her the money. I was like, you get, we're not fucking giving her that fucking money. And so Tara's trying to do everything to like keep everybody away and just her in the room with her. So anyway, Tara's like, okay, well, they just gave her the Pitocin. So it's just going to be a long night. I'll, you know, and, and just go into your, your back to your, your house or whatever. And I'll call you, you know, when it's getting close or whatever. And so Tara didn't know that we had actually, my sister came in from Miami. So she was staying in a hotel. And so we were just going to go right around. It's like a mile from the hospital. Mm -hmm. And so I guess her, she was betting on like, when I call them, by the time they get here, the baby will be born. And that's another thing with a lot of people is she made sure that no one was in the delivery room, even when the birth mothers wanted the families in the living room, which in our case, she wanted us there. And she made and sure. And what was the reason? She just, so she could have full control. Control. Yeah, control. And she was doing physical exams on these women, like no. sticking her hand. Yeah. And, and she wasn't any kind of like registered certified, doula, certified doula. Nothing. Oh my gosh. Nothing. She that did is not. She such said, a violation. I think in one of the other podcasts, Maria, the birth mom attorney, Maria was like, you know, it's sexual assault. It is. But I think it was just the control. I mean, she also told us she didn't want us to name him, that she wanted to name him. And like, that wasn't true. We found out later on. So I think Tara was betting that we were still like staying in our Airbnb, which was like 35 minutes away. And you're literally across the, the, the way of the hospital. And so she caught, we leave and I think it was like 7.30 and we get a text at, I think it was like 8.45 or something. And she's like, baby's coming. You guys need to get here or whatever. So we, by the time we get in, get valet, get in our car, we're pulling in the hospital parking lot. We're getting pictures of our son, like mm. Artie Moore. Yeah. Nobody was there with our birth mom. Ugh. No one was there for support. We weren't there. The birth father wasn't there. She had no one except for Tara. And she had gone there in an Uber with a stranger for an hour. For an hour. Severe medical distress. I I just, I'm picturing this whole thing in my head and I just, my heart just aches for the birth bomb. What happened to us was shitty, but like we have really tried to advocate for our birth parents and the way that she treated them and like how she's done this to all of them and how a lot of these parents are treated this way, even, even by other Tara Lees, you know, there's a lot of Tara Lees in this industry and there's no federal laws to really regulate any of this garbage. People get, this is a get rich industry and it's disgusting. And she had these vulnerable birth moms that, you know, just needed some financial help. And then you had families who are desperate to have children and will do anything to achieve that. I believe in my heart, she is always been a scam artist always i think she has been a scam artist from the day she was born i don't know where it came from i don't know if her family is like that i have no idea but i truly in my heart believe she is a just a bad person and she knew exactly what she was doing so our son was born and we get to the hospital my birth mom and us in particular i've always had like a really strong bond i guess and 
So Tara's like, okay, out, go to the nursery, go to the nursery. And we're like, my husband and I are like, is baby okay? Is she okay? Like, and she's like, oh, by the way, I need that check. And Mike's like, and I can't just leave, like go walk in the room and say, hey, how you doing? She literally, the baby was just taken out of the room. Hmm. And in our case, the birth mom, our birth mother did not want to look at him and wanted him out of the room as soon as possible. She just couldn't hmm. handle it. You know, so I looked at our birth mom and I was like, is this okay? Are you okay with me going? Like, are you sure you're okay with this? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, we're in this together. And yeah, we're a family. So we, her and I, especially this last one, like we, she's my, she's our family. We consider our family and we fight like family. So now I'm just like thinking about then versus our relationship now. And mm-hmm. so we go up to the nursery and we're able to hold him for the first time and feed his bottle. And she comes up there and she's like, oh, I need that money need that, you know, $3,000. And Mike just like completely ignores her. Like he's so pissed and he's trying to separate us. And then she's like, I need that check. And he's like, yeah, I'll get your check. But not right now. Like, how how dare you? Like come into the, the NICU? Like- she was such a stain on that moment. It was such yeah. a special moment for you guys. You guys have been mm-hmm. through so much. And for her to be there and you guys knowing what you knew at that yeah. time and to have the audacity to look you in the eye and ask yeah. for a check. It's just like, ugh. Yeah, I don't know really how gross. you 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 didn't react, and but good on you that that you were able to hold it together. But wow, yeah, yeah, it was so gross. So after son's born, we give him the bottle. My sister's there with us. It's a great moment. Tara finally, you know, leaves. Mike just basically tells her to piss off in a nice way. We're, uh, you know, trying to bond with him, and so we go home to get a little sleep, and so. I start going on like there's a lot of adoption groups that I was a part of and on Facebook. And so I see like this a couple of these women, like, hey, has anybody worked with Tara Lee? You know, or whatever. And so I private messaged one of them. And there was like these three women that started this group. And um, and so they were like, We do you want to talk on the phone? And so I was like, Yeah. So I started talking to them. And then they're like, Are you sure she is real? Are you sure like because there's another family that's supposed to be matched with that same baby, whatever. And so I'm like, what the hell's going on? Is any of this real? Like we thought that, you know, at this point we had not had any sleep. We are in 700 miles away from home and we are delusional. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Was any part of you afraid at that moment? Because you still did not have that baby in your arms, in your home. Was any part of you afraid that, gosh, What's Tara Lee capable of? She could come here yes. and take this baby. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I can just yes. imagine. So yeah. And yeah. And so at this point, Talia finally told Mike, here, call, you know, Matt Slutz, which was the lead investigator, the FBI agent. We we're so paranoid. You know, we didn't know. We we're like, we didn't know what Tara is capable of, who was a part of this. We found out that her sister was a nurse in the hospital. Our son was at a labor and delivery nurse. And she later we found out that her sister was like, calling her for babies, which is not only illegal, but unethical. I don't know if she got fired, but I know she got suspended. Her sister had posted, like infiltrated some of these adoption groups and was like, you know, in there, like taking up for Tara. Cause everybody at this point, like once the raid happened, like they're posting everywhere in the adoption groups. And so I had been taking screenshots of that. And so the admin at the hospital was like, we have a very strict social media policy. Can you send me this Facebook post? And I was like, yeah. So that's what got her out. So we had him on strict lockdown where it was just me and my husband were the only ones allowed in. We were so paranoid. Like I remember at the sentencing, we went to the sentencing when she was sentenced and Mike told the judge that like, I didn't know what this woman was capable of. I didn't know who was involved. I didn't know if the FBI was real. 
I didn't know what the hell was going on. And, you know, we're hearing that there's doctors involved. There's multiple people involved. Like, how big is this? We don't know what the hell's going on. He was like, my wife's in the parking garage at night coming home. He's like, I didn't know what to expect. And we were just terrified. And so Mike finally called the FBI the day after our son was born and talked to Matt Fliss for the first time. And so he was standing outside of the hospital and was freezing cold and snowing. Mike just asked him, like, do we need to be concerned? Like, are we in danger? I don't know what to do. Like, this woman will not leave the hospital because at this point she had come back and was sitting in our birth mom's hospital room, would not leave, and like kept asking us for money. So Matt Celeste was like, let me make a couple of phone calls and I'll call you right back. And so he called my husband back 15 minutes later and was like, as a human being, like, I want to help you. But if we move in right now, like we don't have enough yet. But know that the FBI, if we thought there was any immediate danger, we would take action. He couldn't tell us anything. And so my husband before this, because he still was so paranoid, he didn't think that the FBI was real. So he like Googled his number. So at this point, we still can't tell anybody because they haven't done the raid. And so Tara starts calling Talia and telling her like something's not right with them. They won't give me my money. Talia and Tanya were like going back and forth with her. Well, yeah, they're going to pay us, you know, and just remember like we don't have to do, we won't finalize their adoption. Talia mm-hmm. and Tanya are trying to play both sides because at this point they have no idea that Talia and Tanya called the FBI. And Tara would text Talia and be like, yeah, Teresa and, and, uh, and Mike, they're just crazy. There's something not right. And then Talia would be like, yeah, I know there's something not right with them. And then she would screenshot that and send it to me. And then it was like, she at one point she texts Mike and was like, tell your wife that I'm going to send her a text, but just ignore it and just respond accordingly. And okay. so she didn't know that Mike wasn't there with me. So I get this text, like, how dare you? You're like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Better give us our money. And you have to remember that we're paranoid. We think everybody's yeah. like, how dare you? You need to give Tara her money, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, all right, and my heart dropped out. Like, text was like, what are you talking about? And she was like, she like repeated the thing because she's trying to take a screenshot yes. of the, the Tara or yes. whatever. So it was just crazy all the stuff. So at this point, Tara was camping out the next day in her hospital where it would not stop hounding us about the money. By this time, the birth father had made it up there. And so they're in the room. So we're walking through the hall and we see our birth parents walking. We like grab him, go sit down. And so that was the point where we started asking them questions like, what has been paid for? We know what's going on. Like something's not right. And at the same time, not being able to tell them that she's under FBI investigation. So Mm -hmm. they were like, Mike just told him like, this is what I can do. We found out that none of their bills have been paid. They're about to be evicted from their house. They're electric bill is about our electric is about to be turned off meanwhile they have a four-year-old son yeah so nothing had been paid and we had given her eight thousand and then we found out she was matched with which we're good friends with now the previous family that had also paid her birth mom expenses but they backed out which is another story but so we're talking to them and mike said just know that this is not who we are and this is we don't agree with this and i'm so sorry that she's been treating you this way and i'm going to make it right he was like I can do one of two things. He was like, I can pay Tara, give her the money and you guys can deal with her and you guys can get it through her or whatever. Or he was like, or you can tell Tara to go kick rocks and I will have the attorneys make sure that everything is current. And they were just like, no, like we would rather you guys and have the relationship with you guys and just tell her to kick rocks. And so 
Talia and Tanya were able to to guide us legally on what we could do as far as that, because you can never give money, but we were allowed to pay bills. We just had to be able to document it in our expense sheet. And right. so we ended up doing that and getting them set up, which felt really good to do because that was what was supposed to be done. I could not leave there and take that baby without making sure they were okay. And that's kind of when our relationship really started with our birth parents and I'm so thankful for. And like I said, we have an interesting relationship, but we love them very, very much. And uh, so thankful for them. I just can't even like, I have so much respect for both of them, especially I can't imagine like being pregnant and not knowing what to do and knowing she can't care for the baby and going to an abortion clinic and not being able to do it. But then carrying the baby full term and knowing the whole time that she can't keep it. There's like the strength and just the selflessness and something that I can't comprehend. I can't even Mm -hmm. imagine. And this is so many of these women that do this and they don't get enough credit. It's just, it's, I don't know. I'm just very passionate about it and just what they go through. And, you know, regardless of their circumstances, if there are drug addicts, it doesn't matter. They're still human beings and they still Mm -hmm. are making a selfless decision. I can absolutely feel your passion and emotion for the whole situation. And you are absolutely right. I mean, I just, my heart aches for what the birth mother, the birth parents and their child went through. I mean, it just is, it just, it brings this scam artist. And she is much more than that. I can think of a million words worse than that, but it just brings it to a whole nother level. She is absolutely despicable and disgusting. And I think you're absolutely right. Based on just my knowledge doing this podcast and research about these scam artists, they share a lot of traits in common. And I happen to agree with you that Tara Lee, she has probably always been this way. I don't think that you just turn one day from being a good human who does good things in the world and doesn't manipulate people into, you know what, I am going to get a lot of money out of human beings and they're going to suffer and I don't care. And she, it takes just a special kind of a human being to be able to inflict that level of trauma and pain on people that you'll have to live with forever and the birth mother will have to live with forever. And I highly doubt that she is sitting in prison with any empathy or regret. I don't think that it sounds like she's probably not capable of it, but um, I feel your passion for this and um, good on you for continuing to talk about it and to advocate for these birth moms. Um, I just, what they went through and what you went through is absolutely deplorable. I am so happy to hear that today though, you have two healthy babies. I know one is has a cold, maybe more yeah. than that. But just a little yeah. cold, little just getting some extra help. But yeah, he's, he's good. Gosh. <laughs> and so you and your husband, Mike, actually ended up adopting a few years later um, your son's sibling, his biological sibling. So yeah. you have two children now from the same birth parents. Wow. It's a miracle, honestly. It was, yeah, we got a call uh, like mid-April, I believe. And she asked us, hey, you know, I'm pregnant. Would you, can you take the baby? And we were like, we got a lot to do. And she just do because our son ended up being born on July 5th. And so we had zero time. So we had to get attorneys. We had to get her an attorney because the birth parents, birth mothers have to be represented and have their own separate legal attorney. And so we had to get an attorney here, an attorney in Michigan, and then figure out, oh my God, you have to get your home study done. And I don't know, I think that anybody that has ever had a home study can probably say it's easier to become a U.S. citizen than adopt a baby almost. It is insane. I think our home study was 300 pages or something. Like you have to get background checks, fingerprinted. You have to get tests, medical tests, like 
crazy, just crazy. You just have no idea. A lot of stuff. So after our son was born and all this, we talked to our birth parents and we like come up with a plan of how we're going to proceed and that makes everybody comfortable. She was getting discharged. And so they were leaving and we were all in the lobby. It was me and Mike, our birth parents, both of them, Maria, because she was representing our birth mom. Maria was the attorney and Tara. And so Tara, so before all of this, when we submitted everything to Tara, Tara had copies of our driver's licenses. Um, she literally knew everything about us. She had our passports, our social security numbers, our bank routing, like everything. She knew how much money we had, where our money was, like, because you have to be transparent like that with adoption, mm-hmm. with your home study. They have to know every single thing about your life. And so she looked at Mike and she said, the social worker at the hospital needs your driver's license, a copy of your driver's license. They also need to know the address of where you're staying. Mike said, looked her dead in the eye and was like, if the social worker wants those things, the social worker can call me. And she got really pissed off. And then our birth mom grabbed me because I was like, I'm, I'm going to fucking kill this bitch. Like, this yeah. is it. I'm going to jail. Yeah. I'm going to jail. I don't care. I will proudly go to jail on this one. I am feisty, but like, I don't put my hands on anybody. But it was that was the day that it was mm. going to be, you know, and my husband was like, go ahead and do it. So Maria is like, but, you know, so Maria calls Talia and is like, you've got to get a hold of Teresa. Like, she's about to blow this whole thing up. You've got, so Talia calls me, you've got to get your shit together. Get your shit together right now, Teresa. So anyway, Tara is pissed. She gets in the car. And so immediately she calls Talia and Tanya. She was like, you have to stop this adoption immediately. There's something not right with them. You need to stop this adoption. Like, I think it was more Tanya. She was it might've been Talia too, but I know for a fact, like she kept telling Tanya, like, y'all have to disrupt this adoption, you know, whatever. So then after that, she started calling our birth mother. And I think in one day she called her a hundred times, leaving her messages saying, there's something not right with them. You don't need to give them that baby. You have to call me immediately. And then the next call would be like, Hey, I gotta, I'm going to go get those tires on your car. Hey, I just paid some of your electric bill, like trying anything to get her to call. And so thank God our birth mother is the most stubborn person on the planet. The more you do it, the more I'm not going to talk to you. So um, Tara is going crazy, trying everything she can to like disrupt our adoption. At this point, I think it was like a week later, the FBI raids her house. So at this point, we can talk about it. She thought that we called, me and Mike called the FBI. She thought, she kept telling Talia and Tanya, like, it was the Deetons. I don't know why she called me by my maiden name. Yeah. She thought we were like the Deetons. And I was like, it's my maiden name, you dumbass. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Please get your, read your paperwork. Get your please. shit together. Oh, I know. I know. It was just a shit show after that. It's such a blur, like looking back, but like the FBI thing, it was like the whole, we have this private Facebook group with all the victims or most of them. And we're all like, holy shit, this is really happening. I cannot believe because we didn't think they were going to, we thought she was just going to get away with it. The story is just, it's a terrible story, but there's a silver lining to all of it. And I can get, I'll get to that later. But the community in this group, we all came together and like making spreadsheets. We're comparing like, okay, here's a picture of my, of this, of my birth mom. Was anyone matched to her? So we have like a spreadsheet and then we're like matching. And then we started and we're like, here's our birth mom. And it's really, we had a really hard time when we joined this group because one of the requirements to join is you have to share your story. And so we didn't feel like we should share our story because we actually got a baby and we got a match. And so uh, it's almost like survivor's guilt. Um, mm-hmm. He is so emotional with this too. I, we still have guilt. Um, oh, because they're in the 
some of these families, like, huh, they have the worst stories. You would not believe what Tara did to these people. And like, not even the husband and wife, but their children. One family, she had them drive from Wisconsin all the way to Florida for a birth where the birth mom did not exist. And Tara wasn't even in the state of Florida. They had their children with them and they stayed there for a week. She broke up families. People got divorced mm. over this. A lot of people think that adoption is, uh, you know, a lot of rich people, you know, we're just normal middle-class people, mm-hmm. you know, that, um, you know, a lot of people maxed out their credit cards, were, you know, had yard sales, bake sales, people donating, you know, to their family. And this woman, she took this money from these people and financially devastated them where they can't even have kids. You know what I mean? And because they don't have any money, they'll never be able to adopt. I mean, devastated families. And so for us, we saw all these stories and we just were like, I can't, we're not a victim. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, not a victim. So eventually we did share our story. And then we found out that Tara was sending pictures of our son after he was born. Actually, there's a picture of my, him in my husband's arms and um, dangling him and acting like he was yeah, up for adoption. Oh my gosh. Very disgusting. Oh it's really disgusting. Ugh. And so that with the spreadsheet and all that's whenever we started like seeing all of it come together. And so these people, we just kept apologizing to everyone, like saying, I'm so sorry. Like some of these people had multiple fails with her, multiple fails and in, in with fake birth mothers. And here you are, you have a baby, a real baby that, you know, I mean, she could have made so much money. And so it's like the way I think had the FBI investigation not happened, she had no intention of master of keeping us. She had no intention of us staying. I think she was going to have us drive up there and hoping that we would just get pissed off and drive back. And then she could rematch them and make more money. Cause that's what she did to a lot of them. She would get them pissed off and then they'd just back out. And then she'd be like, okay, we'll just use your money to the next one. And then it was like, she just kept flipping. I think the only reason why we were able to have a successful placement is because of the FBI investigation. I truly in my heart, you know, we met with the FBI and the assistant attorney and I asked them, I was like, I don't know if you can tell us, but like, why us? And they were like, we don't know. We have no idea. We can't give you an answer. Going back to, we've finally shared a story in the group. The silver lining for us with all of this is that uh, we have friendships that we have developed. You know, when we went to Michigan to adopt our our son recently, we stayed with our friends. Uh, we're a part of this. You know, adoption is really hard and a lot of people don't understand it and don't understand like what you go through. And even your fa- our family, they just don't understand. And so it's really good to have someone to talk to that really understands it, especially this trauma that we all went through. It took me a long time. Actually, I didn't realize how traumatized I was from all of this. But uh, when we were in Michigan, uh, you know, because we were there for a month this last time, I was a mental wreck, like panic attacks. Like I started having really bad panic attacks. I had to have like emergency session with my therapist. Um, You know, she was like, you have PTSD from this. I think um, a lot of ways too that I think I forget about is that a lot of these children that were successful are brought up in this, like, their story is tainted by this forever. And it's almost like, I don't even want to say what, which is better, but for me, it's like, you have, we have children a part of, this is their story and they didn't ask for this. This isn't fair. So after all of this, like I said, her sister, which I know she was a part of this and I have no idea how she wasn't charged. I think 
they just, I think there's a lot of people involved. I, and I don't know if Talia told you that or not, but I truly do not think Tara was the only one. I think she was the master and had a lot of puppets, but I definitely think there were other people involved. Her sister, man, her, I just, I don't, I just don't even understand it. It just really just boggles my mind. Our um, son was in the NICU for five weeks. So we were in Michigan a total of six weeks. I think I just come to the um, Airbnb. I get a call. I'm getting called from reporters somehow that they got my phone number. So I'm like, what the hell? I, <laughs> we can't, no comment. You know, it just didn't Talia. stop for you guys. I no, just, the range no. of emotions that yeah. you guys must have been having. Yeah. And so the one reporter that, that I did end up talking to and is actually one of, I consider her my close friend is Heather Catalo. Literally, I feel like she is one of the reasons why she was charged because Heather would not let it go. She still won't let it go. That bitch, I'm telling you, she's good for her. She is like, she still looks at Pacer. She will always keep me updated. She's like, hey, did you see Pacer? Did you see like, you know, she's trying to appeal, you know, whatever. And she's always like trying to come. Like we found out she had a pen pal like account. And then Heather ran a story on that. And got that shit shut down. She was like, I'm, she was like, I'm never letting her breathe. And she was mm-hmm. like, and when she gets out of prison, because she only got, I think they gave her 10 years, but she gets, only has to serve seven, which is insane. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, she uh, sat there like during the sentencing and it was so, oh my God, it was so liberating to be able to read our statements. We kept going back and forth. Were we going to go? Were we not? And then we both came to the conclusion. It was like, this isn't about us. It's about our birth parents and our son. And we are going to have be their voice because they couldn't be there. And so we spoke and it was just so liberating to look her in her face. And like, I walked up to her and I like stood in front of the court. I looked at her and said, I'm here. And I told you I would be. And she was like, it was just amazing seeing her walk in that courtroom with shackles and orange jumpsuit, you know, everything that we had dreamed of. But like during the sentencing, we're all sitting there, all of us and a lot of the other families. And we're like, there's no way she's so convincing. Like we were like, there's no way. Like we started going like questioning ourselves. Wait a second. She's crying, talking about how sorry she is and how, you know, she just, you know, got into this shopping addiction and all this crap. And so then we're like, wait a second. Is the judge going to fall for this shit? Oh my God. Like he's going to fall for it. So everything said and done, we all read. It was so, they told us it was only going to be like two hours or whatever. Ended up being like all day. Like the judge, Judge Friedman. Was like, because before we went in, Sarah Woodward was like, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you about Judge Friedman. He's no nonsense. He doesn't like you. She said he can be different, but most of the time he's just like, all right, get on with it. Move on. Just move on or whatever. He literally sat there and was like, we were like, I'm so sorry it's taking so long. He was like, no, take your time. I want to hear every word. There was victims that were phoned in to read their statements. Like he sat and listened to every word. And so then at the end he goes, okay, Time for sentencing. And he... He couldn't I, wait. Oh, oh he, he couldn't wait. wait. Oh, oh, my God. I don't know if you've read the... Oh, it's great. If you ever want to... You can't really... You'll never get the true feel for it unless you're actually in the courtroom. Yeah, Judge Friedman was like, you know, you've sat here and, you know, cried. It's me, 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 me. He was like, I've heard every... You know, people call you evil. And he was like, you're just pure evil. He mm-hmm. was like, you are pure evil. He said, if I could give you life, I would. And he was like, you have ruined families for generations. He was like, I've had one, I uh, had a murder case recently and I gave life to him and I wish I could give you life to you. He was like, I thought that was the most disgusting case that had ever been before me. This one is. 
he wanted to nail her ass to the wall. And so I don't know if you know the stipulations of her sentencing, but reading the, I think it was close to 600 pages of victim impact statements, she had to do it in front of interns. And she, if she missed one word, she had to start over. I did read were, that. And I thought that was, I've never heard that before. She can't even go into a restaurant that serves alcohol. If she is caught doing any of that, she'll go straight and serve hard time. He said he will make sure every judge after him is aware that, because he's old, you know, he said, oh, and when you get out, you have to have a real job. And he said, by real job, I mean a W-2. Oh. And, he, and then, um, with all of those degrees, you shouldn't have any problems finding it, finding yeah. one. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I just love it. Oh, I, mean, I, I wish there was audio of it, but if it's a federal case, there probably isn't. When we met with Sarah Woodward and the FBI the, next, the day before, Sarah said, like, she said, we didn't think we were going to be able to get her with anything. She was like, honestly, I didn't know how we we're going to do this because there's really no laws. And that's what we're fighting for is stricter federal laws and state laws on adoption, because the only thing they could charge her with was you know, wire fraud and aggravated identity theft. They had so much more, but they couldn't push it because they had open adoptions. And so if they would have done anything, um, it could have disrupted adoption. So even after she was sentenced alive, I think it was one or two counties in Michigan started opening up these adoptions. They had already been closed and finalized. And birth moms were saying that they were that they were coerced. You know, they wanted their babies back. And I had a lot of guilt like that because I thought that what if she was coerced? What if I stole someone's baby? Like I couldn't at a hard time bonding with him. We couldn't, we were so scared in the hospital. We couldn't like, and she stole that from us, that bonding. And, you know, for months when it so sorry. No, it's okay. It's not emotional talking about it. I the pain is still. It's your baby. It's your baby. She stole so much from this, what is supposed to be like a beautiful thing. You know what I mean? You, adoption is not like it used to be. You don't just adopt and the files are sealed. You know, like you don't have to do an open adoption. It's legally, you don't have to. Once you take, you know, you get custody, you can never talk to them again. And I do not think that is for me personally and for our family. I don't agree with that. I don't think it is good for the children. We believe in having an open relationship. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, there's, questions that we have on how to do things because they are still children. We don't want to confuse them, but we always want to have our kids to have the option and always know where they came from and always know that they were loved so much. And it's just crazy because we have come so close with like our birth mom sister and it's like a family. It's two families like merging as one and that's what it's supposed to be. And she stole so much in that process from both of us, from our birth parents, from us. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of loss with adoption, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But there's also a lot to gain, you know, and she stole so much from the positives from that. And it's just the bonding with us. And, you know, we came home, I had so much guilt and yeah, I, it just I had so much guilt and I, I felt like it was wrong for me to like love him, I guess. And I was like, do I call her? You don't. And ask her, like, did we do? Did you really want this? And you're probably so terrified of the answer as well. You're wanting to do what you think is the right thing by asking her direct, but terrified of the answer because what if she says something that yeah you don't want her to say? But exactly, you know, but, you know something I don't want to hear. And then what kind of person does that make me? It was just such an internal struggle. Um, I truly feel like the universe brought us together again for our second son to kind of resolve those feelings and for us yeah. to, you know, for us to really talk and like form that a stronger relationship. But I struggled 
for a very long time. And I was just like, I couldn't burn. I couldn't, I just had so much guilt and I couldn't let it go because I, I thought that I was complicit in all of this and that somehow I was just as bad as Tara. It's just crazy. Mm -hmm. Like how we're not even the worst ones. Like we have a successful story, you know, and like our friends, uh, you know, uh, she had two fails. She held both of the babies and killed her. I mean, she's still to this. She can't even, she has a hard time even doing interviews or anything. She can't even talk about it. It just kills her. And then our other friends, you know, they were friends with Tara and, you know, have been friends with Tara and, you know, had fails with her. And like, she, she knew that one of them was about to get a big bonus from work and she somehow got the money from them. And it's like, we're all smart, educated people. Like, it's almost like a bear. Like we always talk about, we're like, how did we not see this? And she's just that good. And I don't even want to give her that much credit. If she took the skills that she had and actually did something positive, like she could change the freaking world. I'm serious. <laughs> she really could. And I hear that from so many victims of scam artists because it has nothing to do with a person's intelligence. It has everything to do with her manipulation skills, and her ability to identify that you are vulnerable. When you are in a vulnerable state, anybody, and I'm talking anybody, can be taken advantage of. You know, hindsight's always 20, 20 mm-hmm. but it has absolutely nothing to do with your intelligence or lack thereof. It has yeah. everything to do with their ability. It's like a shark smelling blood in the yes. water. You know, they they know. You know, and I guess, like you said, there are quite a few silver linings in this, if you could, if somebody can even believe it for out of so much tragedy. But, you know, and, and one of those is that it's shocking to hear that there's not a lot of legislature surrounding this to protect people from this in the adoption world. And so that things like this, unfortunately, have to happen for change to happen. And so it sounds like you and others are working on that. And hopefully something good and a huge change will come out of it because the last thing that you or anybody wants to see is for any other human being to go through something like this. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Most definitely. And we have, you know, we've tried so hard and it's just nobody really listens to us. There's also a lot of like extremist groups that, you know, are totally against adoptive parents and think we're baby stealers and all this. And so they will get on the pages and start telling us how awful we are and that the babies need to be with their mothers and all this. And they're forgetting these women. They had a choice and it is their choice. I know that there are some bad adoption stories out there. I mean, clearly Tara Lee, but like in our case now that I know like the truth and I know her heart, I know that this was her choice. She had many choices and this was what she chose. And that is her right as a woman, as a human being, as an American, you know, everything. She has that right. And so why are you going to judge us or her? I mean, your children, I imagine, have a very beautiful life that, yeah. that may not have turned out that way. So right. um, that is also a silver lining. They yeah. are so fortunate for having yeah. ended up where they are. And it is a beautiful right. thing. And you seem to me like a nurturer, like you're trying yeah, to yeah. take care of everybody. And obviously yes. you need to be taken care of as yeah. well, but you're trying to take care of these other people who were scammed by Tara Lee. You're trying to take care of the birth mom. You're trying to take care of your boys. And it, yeah. it just... Gosh, you sure have been through a lot and and Tara Lee has inflicted a lot of pain, but it sounds like you all are doing the best you can and you all have come together. And like you said, you formed these lifelong friendships that never would have happened. So screw her. Yeah, for sure. She's got 160 families watching her every minute, waiting on her to fuck up. When she gets out of prison, she's going back. 
I yeah. can guarantee you. She got caught by Heather Catalano, like with her cell phone and got her bond revoked. Like what an idiot. And the she judge told her like during the hearing, he was like, you do realize that you are being watched your every move. And she just thinks she's just above the law. I'm not a doctor, but it's probably something yeah. in her psyche that is there. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. She only knows how to earn a living through exactly. manipulation. And so you think for a second, she's going to come out and be a changed person. So I think the chances are high, yeah. as you yeah. said. For her to end yeah. up right back where she is right now, you know, and let's hope. So nobody else has to go through this because she will try to do something again. I appreciate you spending the time to yeah. tell me your story because it cuts extremely deep. Yes. I can see that. Um, I, I'm just so happy to hear that you have two beautiful children Thank who you. are living their best life. I can just yeah. imagine, you know, yeah. and, and that you're you're also forming these lifelong friendships and, and offering support to them. And it sounds like you garner support from them as well, which has helped mm-hmm. you along. Tara's where she needs to be. And I agree with you. I think there's a very good chance that she could end up back there. And that would be amazing because I don't think she has anything good to offer the world, mm-hmm. obviously. I can't thank you enough because for this kind of thing, it's not just telling a story for people to go, oh, wow, that's crazy. It's telling a story because there are still people out there who don't know that this is a kind of scam that is going on. Yeah. And it, and I hope that even if one person listens who was considering adopting, that they can now do better due diligence and understand that this shit happens and it's very dangerous. And so I just think that your story and the, these other people's story is just so important to get out there on a mass scale for that reason. Yeah, for sure. Because there's a lot of corruption in the industry and this story can help us change with the laws. It's just, it's really important to us. We never want anyone to ever go through what we've went through. That's why we've just been fighting so hard and hopefully we'll get there one day. I feel like it'll be soon, but yeah. yeah. Thank you for being so you know respectful and listening. And, and thank yeah. you. I appreciate you so much. And I could just feel your warmth. You're such a good human being and I'm so happy to have spoken with you about it. Really nice to meet you, Teresa. And I hope yeah. we get to talk soon again. Okay. All right. Bye. Take care. Bye. Dirty Money Moves is a collaboration between Murderish and Cloud10 Media. Executive producers are myself, Jamie Rice, and Sim Sarna. Research and writing is done by Gina Mazzolini. Emily Crane does the audio mixing and editing. Josh Cook composed the music, and Brian Stefanik created the podcast cover art. Follow us at Dirty Money Moves on Instagram and TikTok. If you like the show, please do us the biggest favor by reviewing the podcast and leaving us a few stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. If you're into true crime content, check out my other podcast, Murderish. A list of sources used for this episode is available at Murderish.com. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week for a brand new episode. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.